Flight. It remains one of the greatest achievements of mankind. A good pilot respects his plane. He checks and double checks every aspect of it to ensure its soundness. Much like an airplane, our lives have gauges that indicate the condition of our lives. We must respect them. We must check them and double check them to ensure that we are rising to new heights. This we are calling altitude assessment. I'm so excited for this series, and not just because it's talking about flying. We'll uh, get to that in a, in a minute. Uh, the first thing I want to say to everyone here this morning is congratulations. I want to tell you, congratulations. You're thinking, what, what is Pastor Dave congratulating me for? Well, here's the thing. It's the first Sunday of the new year, and you are here in church. Congratulations. I think that's a big deal. Now, you, you may be here because you're here every week, and you, you come to church faithfully, and, and, and that's a great thing. But you also may be here this morning because maybe you made a New Year's resolution, and you said, you know what, we're going to go to church more. We're going to start attending church. And, and I want to say to you, congratulations. We are so glad you're here this morning because we're starting a new series, A Flight Through the Book of Colossians, that I'm very excited about. Um, and I'm glad you're here to join us with this. 2000, the year 2015, you know, many people didn't think we were going to make it to 2013. They thought it was all going to be over in 2012. Some of you might be sitting here this morning thinking, um, you know, kind of glad that you, you yourself made it to 2013. Maybe, maybe you endured an accident or, or an illness or something, and, and there were some questions as to whether you were going to make it to 2013 or not. You did. You're here. And, and again, I want to welcome you. Now, there are some who, who would say or be discouraged because the apocalypse didn't happen in 2012. You know, there are some who thought that there was this great prophecy and it was the real deal and then it didn't happen and now they're kind of discouraged about the whole thing. Maybe they're thinking, well, you know what? God isn't real after all. Um, he, he isn't going to... There isn't some um, sovereign God who's going to judge the world and, and they've given up. Um, I hope and pray that that's not the case. My prayer uh, as we enter into 2013 is that those people begin searching in the places where the truth can be found. They've been listening to truth or what's purported to be truth uh, for years. And I pray that they search out the truth where it actually can be found. Maybe that's why you're here this morning. Maybe you are searching for truth. Well, I'm glad you are here. Altitude assessment. A flight through the book of Colossians. Now, as we prepared, as we prepared this series, uh, we were, we, one of the things that we wanted to talk about was the fact that in life, we have many ups and downs. 
Uh, we have peaks and we have valleys. We have great things that happen and then we have struggles that happen. And, and the truth of the matter is God is just as faithful through every one of those things as we go through life. So we were trying to come up with a theme for, for this series. We, we thought, you know, uh, mountaintops and valleys or highs and lows, hills and dips. And we found ourselves landing, pun intended, on the title of Altitude Assessment. So please turn to the book of Colossians if you would. Um, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Um, four letters that the Apostle Paul wrote. If you didn't bring a Bible, I would encourage you to grab one from underneath the seat in front of you. Um, poke your neighbor. Let them Ask them if you can look on to them because uh, Colossians, the Colossians passages will not occur up here onto the screen. So I would like you to have your Bible open and looking at Colossians. And, and also, just to give you a heads up, you notice that for further study in your worship folder, which we try to have every week, um, this series is going four weeks. And if you'll notice, there's four chapters in the book of Colossians. And we can't possibly get through a whole chapter on one Sunday morning. So what we're doing is we're going to do part of the passage on Sunday morning. And then the other part of that passage is studied in the for further study for you to take home and do during the course of the week. So that by the end of this series in one month, in four weeks, you will have studied through the entire book of Colossians, and we will have done it together. So I would encourage you to take that for further study home and, uh, and study the other parts of the chapter that we don't get to. Um, Colossians in those pew Bibles, if you haven't found it yet, is page 1165. Now, there's a story told that uh, a national magazine assigned a photographer to take pictures of a forest fire. I don't know if it was the big forest fires down in Colorado Springs. There were lots to choose from this past season. And they told him that a small plane would be awaiting at the airport to fly him over the fire. So the photographer arrived at the airstrip, and sure enough, an hour before sundown, there was a small Cessna airplane sitting there waiting. And so he jumped in with his equipment, his camera and everything, and he said, let's go. And the pilot, a tense nervous-looking man turned the plane into the wind, and soon they were in the air, though flying a little bit erratically. Um, and the photographer says, fly over the north side of the fire and make several low passes. I'd really like to get some good pictures. And the nervous pilot asked, why? And he said, because I'm going to take pictures. He said, I'm a photographer, and photographers take pictures. And this nervous pilot looked at him and said, you mean you're not the flight instructor? <laughs> now, it's true, they say just about anyone can fly a plane. Anyone can take off. It's the landing that is the challenge. Um, I think these two gentlemen would have served well by doing some assessing before they actually headed up into the wild blue yonder. Flying is an amazing thing, isn't it? How many in here like to fly? You, you just really like to fly. Wow, the percentage at early service was much higher. How many of you are scared to death to fly? Who has never flown? Raise your hand. Never, ever flown. We do have some people in here who have never flown. I love to fly. Um, and, and the bumpier, the better, in my opinion. Um, when that big airliner starts flapping its wings, hold the phone. I, I just really... I don't know. I, and and, and I, another reason why I like to fly is because when I was in college, I went through all the effort I put down and spent all of the money to get my pilot's license. And uh, 
it was it was a hard experience, but but you could just go out really and go up in the air whenever you wanted to. Uh, the first time that Sarah and I actually flew together, um, we took a very romantic flight to Sydney, Nebraska, and went to Cabela's. <laughs> Did you know if you fly to Cabela's, I know there's some pilots in here, that if you fly to Cabela's, you call the airport before you land, they call Cabela's, and they come out with a bus and take you from the airport to Cabela's for free. I suppose they figure if you're flying a plane, you got some money to spend at our store, so we'll come and, and get you. Um, you know, that, that was the problem with flying. You see, I have to admit, I haven't flown a plane other than one time sitting in the co-pilot seat when a pilot let me in the air fly the plane. Um, I haven't flown in over 15 years. Um, mainly because I wanted to put food in the mouth of my children. Um, I, I, we, couldn't, we couldn't afford it early on in our marriage. And, you know, when you're a single college kid, you can spend your money on whatever you want. And it doesn't matter if you only eat one meal a day, right? If you can fly for three hours, that is the most important thing. Well, you have to, in every 90 days, you have to make a certain number of landings and takeoffs in order to, to keep your pilot's license current. And, and I was just doing the bare minimum and decided that, you know, I was, I was really kind of, I was just, I was dangerous. I was good enough to, um, I just didn't feel proficient. So I stopped flying altogether. Um, and, you know, we did have a chance early on in our marriage to buy a portion of a club plane in Torrington. And we bought furniture instead. Um, However, we still do have some of that furniture, and we got a lot of miles out of that couch. So, one of the important things a pilot must constantly do, as the video said, is assess. Assess before taking on the ground. Is the plane airworthy? Does everything work? Is there water in the fuel? Do the, do the warning signals work? Are there any obstructions anywhere? Did some birds over the weekend build a nest? In the cowling in front, that wouldn't be good. You want to make sure that that's not there. Um, is the altimeter set to the correct atmospheric pressure? That's how you, because the atmospheric pressure goes up and down, and you have to adjust that. That adjusts just the altimeter to, to give you an accurate indication of how much altitude you, have, altitude you have while you are in the plane. There is a constant awareness, constant Assessment, And as we begin in Colossians this morning, this is what Paul is doing. He's assessing. He is helping the people in Colossa and us understand and be aware of, of what's going on in life. He's, assi- he's assessing where people are and then reminding them of those facts. And we're going to see that this morning. I love the passage. Well, I, I love God's Word. And, uh, and, and this passage is, is especially special this morning as we kick off this series. Um, so let's begin reading. We're going to begin reading in verse 13. Look in your Bibles, Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold true. And He is the head of the body, the church. 
He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. Once... You were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present present you holy in His sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the Gospel. This is the Gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. What good stuff. What, what great news to start the new year off with and what Paul has told us here. And right there in verses 13 and 14, Paul reminds us of the high altitude that we have been blessed with. Paul says right there that we have been qualified. We have been qualified. Now, in getting my pilot's license, there was a lot of hours of studying. You had to take a written test. You had to, to do a certain number of hours with a, an, instructor, an instructor. You had to do a certain number of hours by yourself. And then you had to go and, and uh, do what is called a check ride. And in this check ride, a certified pilot who is certified to do this kind of thing goes up with you, takes you through all of the maneuvers, and then determines whether you will be qualified to be a pilot, to earn your pilot's license. And I remember that day when I got my check ride. It was, it was a bit breezy. It was a hot day. I flew from Pine Bluff to Scotts Bluff, which is where the guy doing the check ride was. His nickname was Red. And I'd been told that he was an ex-Air Force pilot. Great. Um, so I, going into this, I'm already nervous, you know. Um, and so he gets in the plane, and we get all strapped in, and we get ready to take off. And the first thing he says to me is, if I get sick today, you fail. Like I have anything to do with that, right? I mean, that's atmospheric conditions. I can't control those things. Well, anyway, we went up and we did all the maneuvers and I didn't do them all perfectly. I know I made some mistakes and some errors. And and then we got to the end. We landed and we're talking about the flight. And and he says, well, there's still room for improvement. You know, there's, there's still some things that you need to learn. But then he said those two wonderful words to my ears, you pass. You pass. And he, with the authority that our government had given him to have, qualified me to be a pilot, to be a licensed pilot. And that's kind of similar to what Christ does for us. Now, flying is a great privilege. It is. Not everybody has their pilot's license. Um, You know, most everybody can get their driver's license, but not everyone can get their pilot's license or fly a plane. Um, So it is a great privilege, but, but think of this. Being saved by Jesus Christ is... Is there anything that can compare, really, truly, in any experience that we have on this earth to be saved for all of eternity by God Himself? Because that's what happened. We are saved by Jesus Christ. And when we are in Christ Jesus, when we have put our faith and trust in Him alone, He qualifies us. He qualifies us. Unlike getting our pilot's license, where... 
I had to do a lot of work. Jesus does the work. Jesus does the redeeming. Jesus does the rescuing. He has qualified us. It's not by anything we do, any great studying. He has qualified us. What an incredible assessment as we sit here this morning. Isn't that amazing to think about? The creator of the universe? Me. He's qualified me. Paul talks about it all the time, of course, this great inheritance that we share in. We, we speak of it constantly from here on this stage, and, and I'm deeply moved by it on a daily basis as I think about the fact that, that, that I have been forgiven because Jesus loves me. He is my Lord. I need to look no further as Christians, we can rightly say He qualifies us. And then He has also delivered us, Paul says. For He has rescued, verse 13, us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul is telling the Colossians. Paul is reminding the, the Colossians what God has already done for them. He, he knows that they have faith. He, he knows that they're strong and, and that they believe it. He's reminding them, look, you need to live like you are. Christ has redeemed you. He has delivered you. You need to live your life that way. God has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of the beloved Son. We are part of His kingdom. Isn't that great news? This incredible description of salvation shows us that our old life lived under tyranny where the powers of darkness reign and where there is no hope of deliverance or escape in and of ourselves. And where, uh, but that in Christ, these dark powers have been forced to give up their prey. As former captives of sin, we have been released to belong to the realm of a greater king. The assessment is this. He has delivered us. He has delivered us. And this great work of deliverance was achieved at the cross. And every single man and woman who is in Christ shares in this triumph. In Him, we have redemption. In Him, we have been qualified. We have been liberated. We have been released from bondage. We have received forgiveness of our sin. And if you have been living your life in any other way than in victory, defeated or discouraged, wondering if there is any hope, then make the assessment of your life this week. Ask some tough questions in and of yourself. And if you aren't in Christ, believe. Surrender your life to Him. And you will be saved. Let Him qualify you. And if you are in Christ, then you have been qualified. Live in confidence. Live in confidence. You don't have to give in to those sinful desires and those temptations. You can say no. Because you have been delivered. Now, in the next few verses, we find out why He, Jesus, is able to qualify us. Verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. 
You see, number two in your notes this morning is He is the authority. He is the authority. First of all, we talked about it in depth last week, Jesus is God. And, and if you missed last week, last week was a, was a, a pinnacle, a, a solid big block of the foundation of our Christian faith as we think about Jesus and His humanity and His divinity. And if, if you missed that, I'd encourage you to grab a, get on the website, our church website, and, uh, and listen to last week's message. Jesus is God. Now it says He is the image of the invisible God. What exactly does that mean? Well, the Greek word for image here is ikone, which means form of. He is the form of God. Uh, The New Living Translation helps us understand it even further. It says it this way, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Wow. And He came here. He came here for real. It's not a myth. It really happened. Jesus is God. He is the authority because He's God. He's the authority because He made all things. He made everything in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Things we can see with our eyes, things that we can't see with our eyes, and things we can see with microscopes, things that we can't even see with microscopes or telescopes. God created it all. He made all things. Thrones, it says. Kingdoms, rulers, and authorities. And those things even exist in the unseen world as well. In the spiritual realm, everything was created through Him. Jesus is God. He made all things. And He rules all things. Everything was created by Him and everything was created for Him. I like this point. I'm a rule kind of guy. Now, some of you sitting out there, I think, um, you are the type of person, when you see a sign that says, do not touch wet paint, Is it really wet? You go up and you touch it to see if the sign was right. If it says no step or do not sit here, you think to yourself, well, that looks solid enough to hold me. And you sit there, right? Some of you are rule breakers. That's that's what you are. So this might be a little bit more difficult for you to submit yourself to this point right here, that he rules all things, you included. This one right here is kind of simple for me. I like rules. I like to know what I can and can't do. I like to have boundaries. I, I don't know, I'm more confident. I feel safer because I know that, that I'm within the rules. Uh, we have discussions in our family all the time about rules. What, what rules should we have? What rules should we keep? Well, all of them, right? We are qualified by Him and for Him because He is the authority. He is it. And, and many times, um, we're asking questions because we want to get permission to do something when we really know that we, the answer is going to be no anyway. So then what we do, then what we do is we don't even ask the question. We just do it. We just do it anyway. Um, he is in charge of all things. And to me, that's the best place to be. In full submission to a God, a Creator, who I fully trust and know has every uh, good intention for me. God, just whatever. Uh, In fact, my prayer has become more, God, give me the faith to just do what it is you ask me to do. Help me do that. 
You see, there, there, was a, there was a captain, his name was Captain Soli, who was a pretty decent pilot. And uh, his plane ingested geese, actually, and quit flying, quit running. And he had to think quickly and decided the best thing for him to do would be to land his airliner in the Hudson River. And he did successfully, and no one died um, no one died. There were a few bumps and bruises, but everyone, and many of us watched that happen, didn't we? If you happened to turn the TV on at the right time, you, you saw it live. You saw people getting off of the wings of this plane, floating in the Hudson River onto ferries and, and being saved. And, and Captain Sully was, is a national hero. He, in essence, delivered all of those people safely, but Captain Sully doesn't hold a candle to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. When it comes to saving and rescuing, he is number one. He is it. All right, now our next section begins in verse 17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or heaven or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. Now, some of you got your worship folder this morning and you saw the title of the sermon and you went, Huh? Really? I mean, sounds like a good idea to me, right? God, God is my co-pilot. Well, your point three in your notes is God is not my co-pilot. Okay, God is not my co-pilot. I want to see a raise of hands of people here this morning that made New Year's resolutions. Raise your hand. Be honest. Raise your hand. If you made a New Year's resolution, raise your hand. All right. I want to congratulate you that raised your hand on making New Year's resolutions. The rest of you, I know. I know what you're thinking. I'm just going to break them anyway. Right? Why would I even bother making a New Year's resolution when I'm just going to break it anyway? How, how many of you, that, raise your hands again, that made New Year's resolutions? No, no, put them down, I'm sorry. How many of you that made New Year's resolutions has, have broken it already five days in? Oh, one honest man in the room. First of all, you should never admit that, Cecil. I mean, I, you know. No, nobody can call you a liar this morning, Cecil. Maybe a few of those others who raise their hand, maybe. I think it's good to make New Year's resolutions. Um, it's good for us to set goals in life. In fact, as a church, for the last three or four or five months, our leadership, Ty and myself and our elders and others, have been praying and, and working and gathering data so that we might set some goals for us, for North Hills Baptist Church in the year 2013. And we're going to be rolling some of those decisions out in the next eight weeks. We're going to be explaining them and, and helping you see the importance of them. And our goal is to see us as a church grow spiritually. So we need to have goals set for ourselves. But here's what many of us do. And maybe the reason you don't make New Year's resolutions is because, because this is kind of what happens. Um, first of all, we say, all right, what, what am I going to devote more time to, right, this year? What are my priorities? That's going to kind of be the, the New Year's resolution. And, and number one, of course, it's, you know, we all have to say, or all, we all would say, it's Jesus, right? It's God. 
That's number one. That's going to be my number one priority this year. And then second, um, second would be probably family. Okay. Third thing on our list would probably be job, career, college student or not. Doesn't matter. You're going to be, um, that's a, a priority and an important thing to you. And then four and five, I don't know. You, you, these vary, but, you know, I would say probably your health might make the top five. Um, what else? Um, here, let's go with volunteering more and volunteer more this year. All right, so we organize things this way. This is our priority list. Jesus and God, that's first. Then family, then job, then health, then volunteering, or, or whatever those next few things are. Now, um, I heard a message this week uh, that was given a year ago by a pastor by the name of Steve Furtick. And this was the title of his... You think my title was a little bit strange. The title of his sermon was... Um, let me make sure I get this right because I don't want to mess this one up. The, the, the title to their New Year series was Don't Put Jesus First This Year. Okay? That was his title. Don't Put Jesus First This Year. Now, as soon as you read the title and the, the, first, wor the first words out of his mouth were, hang on before you call me a heretic, listen to me, okay? Let me explain this. Well, here's what can happen, and here, here's what his thoughts were. His thoughts were, okay, let's, this is our priority list, this is our resolution, this is how we're going to live our life. So, do we, do we pray more, and we read our Bibles more, and we spend more time doing that, and, when we, and we don't spend that with our family? Is the goal here to spend more time with God and Jesus, and then we say, okay, that's going to be ten hours for the day, and then, and then five hours is going to be family, well, that leaves only... What is that? Fifteen, eight, nine. That leaves nine hours. Well, um, I got to sleep, so I'm going to work eight hours. Or I'm going to sleep eight hours, and then I'm going to work one. That's not going to work, right? It, it it doesn't work that way. Here here's how I want you to think about this. Because yes, we know that that Jesus needs to be first in our life. Seek first the kingdom of God, right? And, and all these things will be added unto you. But instead of organizing it this way, what if we said, Jesus is going to be at the center of my life, at the center of everything I do, and as I'm with my family and teaching and leading my family, it's going to be centered on Jesus. Deuteronomy 6. When you walk, when, you go, when you're going along the road, teach your children. Teach your children about God. Teach them about Jesus Christ. Jesus at the center and our family. What if Jesus informed our job and our career? We have to make decisions every day in our jobs, don't we? Some of them moral decisions. Some of them biblical decisions. How are we going to, what are we going to do when those, when those things come up? Are we just going to do whatever the boss says? Or are we going to say, you know what? I can't do that. I can't do that because, you see, Jesus is the center of my life. And he says that that would be wrong for me to do that. I'm not going to do it. Well, you're going to get fired. You know what? Jesus is the center of my life. Jesus informs everything that I do. And the same would be with our health. The Bible says that our bodies are a temple. Jesus can be at the center of that. Volunteering. 
volunteering and, and our job. Um, work as if unto the Lord, right? We can do that every day. We can live our lives, not in some order of first, second, third, and fourth, but with Jesus as the center, serving Him in and amongst all of the other aspects of our life. See, it says, in Him all things hold together. It says He is the head. In everything He might have the supremacy. Everything, supreme, ultimate, over all. He is, he is over all and He is over all of us. And then write this verse down, Acts 17, 28. Write it in your notes. I'm not sure if we got... Yeah, we did good. For in Him, talking about Jesus, we live and move and have our being. I believe that's your memory verse for the week. I love this verse. For in Christ we live and move and have our being. It all comes from Him. It's all centered on Him. Maybe you've seen this bumper sticker right here, shown on a car. God is my co-pilot, right? That's kind of what we've been talking about in point number three. You know what? Here's the thing. If God is your co-pilot, it's time to switch seats. Because that's this next bumper sticker. You're in the wrong seat. We live our lives that way, though, don't we? We're sitting in the pilot's chair. Got the yoke in our hands. It's like, God, yep, my co-pilot. But I'm flying the plane. I'm flying the plane fine until all of a sudden there's a big nasty thunderstorm comes up and I lose control of the plane. I'm in the midst of a storm, whether it's health or financial or whatever that might be. And then what hope do I have of being safe in the plane but to let go of the yoke and say, all right, God, you need to take control. We want to hold on to the yoke and we want to fly the plane until there's a shooting or till a family member dies or till something tragic happens in our family. And then we want, boy, I sure hope he's still sitting in the co-pilot seat because I need him right now. If, if God is your co-pilot, you are in the wrong seat. So here's what I, I want you to do. If, if you're thinking, oh man, Pastor Dave, Holy Spirit, that's... that's sticking me right there. It's true. I think I've been in the pilot's seat. Maybe this morning is when you respond to a challenge of God and you make a commitment to switch seats. If that's the case, I want you at the bottom of point number three there, I want you to fill that in and say, I'm switching seats. It's time to let God take the yoke. I'm switching seats. It's time to let God take the yoke. And then on your Connect card, because I realized this week when you guys make a commitment on your Connect card and then you turn it in, it's like if, you don't, if you're not writing it in your notes, then you don't have it. And it would be easy for you to forget. So I want you to check that on your Connect card as well. And then the last few verses tell us how this can be done. And it's our last and final assessment of the day. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now you, but now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death 
to present you holy in sight without blemish and free from accusation. What an unbelievable thing He did for us. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. Continue in your faith, established and firm. Continue in your faith, established and firm. Yes, we are qualified by Jesus Christ. God alone does that work. He qualifies us. He delivers us. He has the authority and always will. He is God and we are not. Whether we believe it or not, whether we trust in Him or not, the Bible says every knee will bow. That's how we are qualified, not by our works. We, we, we remain firm in our faith and established because of what He has done for us. Because we are qualified not to qualify ourselves. And it's that faith that Paul is calling us to. Established and firm. Not moved, it says. This, I believe, is better to do as a community and not as individuals. Um, continuing in our faith requires discipleship. I think, I think every one of us should make New Year's resolutions and I think we should write them on, on big butcher paper and put them in our picture windows of our houses. I'm going to treat my neighbor nicer. Put it in the window of your house. You think you might be a little more motivated? Because you know your neighbor's going to say, hey, what about that sign in your window, right? We need help. First of all, we need to admit, we need to make some goals, we need to, to, to face some challenges, and then we need to tell somebody about it and, and to ask them to help us with it. And we're going to be talking about that in the coming weeks. Accountability. Um, living life together as a church. Discipleship. Keeping Christ central in all that we do. Living our lives in and through Him. Not just adding Jesus to our life like we add pickles to a hamburger. No, He is our life. And, and the cheese is the job and the, the, the lettuce is our family and all of that. I mean, He is the center of everything. So we need to assess our spiritual lives on a consistent basis. And I hope and pray that you are ready for 2013 because I am. I am ready to go. Uh, we're going to clearly lay out what it means to be a part of North Hills. We, uh, Pastor Ty has been leading a team in, in looking at our discipleship process and uh, what does it mean to be a part of the community of faith we call North Hills? What does that mean, Really? Is it more than just coming to church on a Sunday morning? And, and if it is, then what is that? And, and how can I become a part of that? We're going to be defining that and laying that out there as best as we can. How do I connect? How do I go deeper with God? How do I connect with other people? And, and again, over the next eight weeks, we're going to be teaching and training. We're, we're going to lay that vision out. And I hope and pray that you will stand firm with us as we continue to move forward in faith and in mission. So, I'm switching seats. I don't want that responsibility. God is the best one to have in the pilot seat. Let's put him there. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you forgive us.
Thank you that if we're sitting here this morning and we feel guilty that, that we can come to you on our knees and we can, we can repent and ask you to forgive us. And, and your word says that you, that, you, that you will. That you will purify us from all unrighteousness. And Lord, I pray that, that we would live our lives knowing that we have been qualified and that we have been delivered by you, not struggling with, with this constant thought of, of sin and darkness because, because in you we... We're delivered. We're saved. Oh, Lord, thank You for Your Word. Father, I pray that You would uh, not let us walk out of this room today with sort of a I'm in charge attitude that, that we would all surrender to You and we would seek You. Lord, I'm looking forward to to growing and learning together. Thank you for this table that we have before us. and Just a celebration of what, what you did, the authority that you have in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close our service with communion, there's two things that I would like to emphasize this morning. The first one is this. What we do here this morning in partaking of the bread and the juice, it's It's significant. Um, it's one of the ordinances that Jesus gave us, uh, gave us as a church to administrate and to protect. We're, we're told that its purpose is to remember Christ, to remember His broken body and His shed blood that He shed on the cross for our salvation. So this morning as we celebrate communion, I want to remind us of the words of Jesus that we find in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three and 26. For I received from the Lord, Paul says, what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Partake of this in remembrance of me. And we, when he had given thanks, he broke it. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So, in partaking of communion, you don't need to be a member of North Hills. It's not about North Hills. It's not about the church. It's about Jesus Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are told to do this in remembrance of him and his sacrifice. But the second thing that I would like to emphasize this morning about communion is the breaking of a habit. And if you're our guest, if you could just ignore this, these few statements here that I'm going to make. We asked this last month, and, and we're going to do so again this morning and probably the next couple months as well. If you've been a part of North Hills for some time, you will know that after communion is over, many people would break their communion cups. Now, I'm going to ask everyone to refrain from doing that and here is why. Um, that illustration came from a message that was given over six years ago and it was never our intention that it would become a habit or a, an ongoing ritual or religious in a sense. Secondly, it, it's, it's really damaging to people who have not heard the teaching before. In fact, it's, it's flat out weird. I, I had a conversation with one person who called and, and was concerned about this. Um, never seen it before, thought it was really kind of strange. You know, they, I think they kind of wondered what cult they wandered into. I mean, 
In fact, she, she told me that she had called a, a friend back in Texas and that friend um, advised her to never go back. It, it was just that strange. So that's the second, second reason. Um, the third is this. The illustration itself was related to a Jewish wedding ceremony where the cup was broken once and for all. And it wasn't something that... The, a married couple didn't get up every morning and break a glass. It, it, just, it just didn't happen. It was done once. And fourthly, the gospel itself shows us that there is nothing that we can do apart from what Christ has already done for us. So as you refrain from breaking the cup, what I want you to do is focus on Christ and what he did. Not, not necessarily a commitment that we make, but what he did. And let's worship him this morning as we do that. There's nothing that we can do in response to his incredible sacrifice other than believe and rejoice. And that's what we do in communion is rejoice and remember. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this bread that represents your broken body and this cup that represents the blood that was shed for us. And now, Lord, we remember. We worship as we partake. In Jesus' name. Amen. The ushers will pass the bread and the cup down the aisle, grab a piece of